From the Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own businesses. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting their business up and running. My name's Kieran, and I'll be your host for this episode. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. After COVID, we even had some one-star reviews when we weren't even open during COVID. Yeah, yeah it was like, I went there I and went it was and closed, it was closed. one star. Oh, okay. <laughs> Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Neil Potts and Rachel Hugh, co-founders of The Burger Co. The Burger Co. is a 100% plant-based burger restaurant that is redefining the perception of what fast food really can be. Rachel and Neil, very, very welcome. Uh, how are you both doing this morning? Thank you so much. Yeah, we're doing really well. Thank you. Actually got a little bit colder, so we're just, yeah, staying nice and warm inside, so... Yes, we'll get to Absolutely bold. <laughs> I know. It's, it, it kind of just switched, I think, last I night. I was, play, I was playing a match last night. It's like I couldn't warm up. It was just so, so really cold. I know. But you know what? I'd rather actually be cold during the winter than warm and then worry about climate change. So, yeah, definitely. There you go. <laughs> get, those, get, those, get those degrees down. <laughs> well, thanks so much again, guys, for coming on this morning. So can you let me know what you guys were doing before starting up the Burger Co and then how, how the Burger Co uh, became, became to be or came to be? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I was working in banking, so uh, I was working in HSBC. It wasn't terrible. Um, I didn't kind of hate it, but it was, it was just kind of you get to the point where you're going home at night and just thinking, you know, just shrugging your shoulders and thinking, well, I don't know what this is for. You know, it's kind of there's not much meaning to it. So that was kind of the, the, the shove for me, I suppose. And you can talk yeah. about what you were doing. And yeah, I was I, I worked in fashion as a fashion buyer. I did that for like a really long time. And I, I loved my I loved my career. I, I loved what I was doing. But I think as we were going on our kind of personal journey of what we were doing with the Virgoco behind the scenes, it kind of made yeah. me question, you know, the the kind of ethical side of the fashion industry. And I think mm-hmm. like much like Neil, I came back home and I was like, why am I participating in something that doesn't quite align with who I am anymore? So I think it was at that point that both of us had that kind of switch in our head where we were like, oh, we, I, I can't do this anymore. We have to do something that aligns with our true values. And that's kind of yeah. the, the click in our head. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose then once you kind of had that realization moment, was it, okay, right, job's gone, right, we're up and running tomorrow? Or was it a kind of a gradual process of working through different concepts before you got to, to where you are? with with starting burger co yeah, so yeah it was we, gradual it was very much yeah. a gradual thing and i think budget forces that to happen as well yeah so i think we um we were working on ideas and and things that we could kind of do behind the scenes but nothing really grabbed us and it wasn't really until we took this trip to california and, and that became our kind of i guess the light underneath the the flame for us that we realized okay we we've really got to do something about it but then we didn't have the budget to kind of make that happen straight away so for us it was very much like okay well let's keep our jobs on the side 
and let's do this kind of on the weekends or evenings, any time that we could physically do it to kind of build our mm -hmm. brand, get people to talk about us, try our food, everything like that. And then we did that for almost eight months side by side. So it was like, we always say it's like fight club where we literally would come to work with our <laughs> eyes like this black, black and underneath our eyes and everyone would be like, how was your weekend? And we'd literally be like, yeah, great. Yeah, fine. Everything was great. <laughs> but had you always had a kind of a, a foodie background anyway in that you, it was naturally an area for you both to, to go down? Uh, yes and no. We, we, we always loved food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the perfect start. We definitely didn't have, you know, a wealth of hospitality experience, but we, you know, we were both pretty, pretty keen and we both really kind of loved the idea of what we were doing. And, you know, I think we both have, there's elements of what we've done in the past, which not definitely not directly related to what we do now, but they, they definitely help, you know, and they, they still help today. So, yeah, I think, you know, we, we, we kind of just got to the point where we were like, well, if everything goes wrong, we just get another job, right? It's, the risk wasn't enormous for us. So, um, yeah, we kind of just jumped in. Yeah, and we loved going to things like, you know, we would always read the latest kind of pop-ups and we would go and find the latest, like who's doing what, something a bit different. I think London lends itself really nicely to that as well. Mm. We were just able to go and find someone doing something pretty cool that you've never seen before, just like down the road. Yeah. So we'd always be a part of that kind of culture and it was something that meant a lot to us to like, unwind from our jobs but it was never really yeah. like the central focus for us because obviously we had our separate careers and in terms of kind of you touched on trying to get that kind of budget or kind of cash amount to make you feel comfortable to to, to make the to take the plunge mm -hmm. uh, so to speak how were you doing that was there like we need to get to a certain figure and then we'll be able to do it or or at what point uh, did it did it become a realization that actually no we're onto something here we can start to to, to build this out mm -hmm. i think it was more that so we um we never really thought to ourselves oh let's save up x amount and then we can quit yeah. our jobs it, it was never really that way it was more like we were working to make sure we could pay for the things that we needed mm -hmm. along the way. So for example, we mm -hmm. started as a market stall. So we had to buy equipment that we sometimes had never heard of before. We had to like Google it and find, oh my gosh, what is this? <laughs> and then how much is that? Oh my God. So we would like um, make sure that we had the budget to pay for those kinds of things. But then it, yeah. like that eight month point, but what clicked in our head was the fact that the kind of thought to ourselves, okay, well, if we don't take the plunge to really um, dive into what we really want to do, well, we're never going to achieve anything because we're half in our career and half into what we really want to do. So it was that more than anything where we were just like, okay, let's dive in. And then that's when we kind of thought to ourselves, well, to make that happen, we're going to have to raise some money. And from an investment perspective, people are going to want to see that we're all in. Mm -hmm. So it was yes. it was mainly from mainly from that side of things that we thought yeah, right. Exactly. Then I suppose from the investment side of things, had you guys had a, a background in raising finance before? I suppose Neil, coming from HSBC, I don't know did did that help at all? And did you go down the route of looking at kind of equity SEIS funding, or are you looking at startup loans? Kind of what what avenue did you guys explore? 
Um, yes and no. So I think my, my background, you know, it is in banking, but it's not in sort of small startup fundraising. It's more kind of bigger companies and, and things like that. So it, yeah. there, there weren't really kind of too many direct comparables, but we, I'd say we had a pretty round background. You know, we had, we had some knowledge and we had a, a bit of kind of some of the tools that we needed to kind of start making some first steps. In terms of funding, we, we looked at everything, really. We looked at all sorts of stuff. I think at the time we looked at startup loans. We, you know, I think we did get some personal loans at the time. I think we did, yeah. Um, I, I think you kind of have to, really. It's still not quite yeah. figured out. I mean, there's there's great tools coming about now. And of course, you know, um, Swoop Funding is one of those. But um, <laughs> I, I think there's, there's there's lots of things that are starting to happen now. But at the time, even five years ago, it wasn't, it still wasn't that easy. And I think that's something that we're quite passionate about now, you know, and one day in the future, we'd love to try and figure out a way to, to help people in our position because it's, it's very difficult, you know, you, especially if you're going into, into some kind of food business, because basically it's super expensive. If yeah. you want to open a restaurant, you know, I mean, even a small restaurant, it's, it's six figures, you know, minimum and that's minimum, minimum, <laughs> um, you know, you can yeah. spend way more than that. So uh, yeah, it's just, it just requires a lot of capital and that's a very difficult pill to swallow for an investor who's looking at you thinking, well, you don't have experience in hospitality you don't have a restaurant already. You want, you're coming to me and asking for, you know, 300,000 pounds or whatever. That's just, it's just too much, you know? Everybody um, basically so how, said no, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So how did, how did you do, how did you do it? Well, that's, yeah. yeah. So I think we, as Neil said, we, we tried every avenue. We kind of got ourselves through every hurdle that we had to, but to open that, that kind of first restaurant with that big budget mm. and nobody really believing in us or our concept, let's be mm. honest, nobody wanted a vegan fast food restaurant five years ago. So we, but we believed in it and, and we were passionate about it and we knew that we had customers. So we lent yeah. on that quite a lot. So we, we built over those eight months of, of working alongside and doing pop-ups, festivals, events, any way to get our brand mm -hmm. out there at all, any way for people to talk about us and crucially tag us on social media, which was kind of just starting to be a thing. People tagging food in, in Instagram, you know, that kind of thing. That was a big deal for us. We ended up really relying on that side of things. So we turned to crowdfunding as a way to harness right. the power of the crowd, which was our customer base, which we had built up over those eight, nine months. And they all couldn't wait to say, Oh my gosh, the Virgo Co are crowdfunding. I can't wait Amazing. for them to open their first restaurant. And then they couldn't wait to share that, that news. So, you know, I don't know if that would be the same today because there are so many of, of particularly of what we do, but I mean, back yeah. in the day, because it was one of only like tiny amounts, um, people really wanted to get behind it. So we ended up really harnessing that, that power really. So, so obviously uh, the community element was massive for mm -hmm. you guys. Yes. Um, so was it um, Instagram or was there a particular channel that most of your community used to live and actually putting time and investment in that clearly paid dividends when it came to the, the fundraising side of things? Yeah, definitely. It was all about Instagram for us, mainly because it was so visual. It was one of the only platforms yeah. where everybody could tag us in, talk about us, but also a way for them to raise their profile and it kind of, it was mutually beneficial. And, and we built so many amazing relationships with so many people who literally still come to eat with us today 
because we really harness their feedback. We ask them to, to come and try different things. We really involve them in the brand from the very beginning. And I think that was kind of one of the, the best things that we could have done and to really harness the, the length and longevity of that relationship as well. In doing and getting that kind of big first uh, allotment of capital, I think you alluded to maybe 300,000, like, yeah. how had you kind of budgeted to, to, to spend that or use that as, as you guys both alluded to, opening a restaurant or going into food involves pretty heavy equipment and assets that, that you need to get up and running, not to mention operational overhead costs. Like how, how, how did you manage that initial kind of allotment of cash? Well, we opened our first site with Shoreditch and we opened it on, I, I like to say homemade. I mean, we're, we're not builders, but we, we did it in a, in a very unconventional way. Like normally you'd go to a big main contractor. There's yep. loads of like restaurant specialists. So they, you know, they cost a fortune, but the work is a very high standard. You know, it's all project managed. You don't really have to do anything. You just kind of hand the money over and tell them what you want. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, you should be at that stage paying an architect as well and a, a kind of project manager. But at the time, we didn't do any of that. We thought, well, yeah, we can, you know. We can open a we, restaurant. We can, <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, I mean, we did have a builder, but they weren't, you know, they weren't the best i suppose <laughs> and they um you know they basically just were like oh draw a line there with you know where you want that wall draw a line there with where you want that wall i mean literally like that's, that's very how it stable was. yeah the site is still standing it's still it's still performing <laughs> yeah. so um yeah. so yeah it worked out but obviously the ones since canary wharf and brighton um, and manchester coming up you know they are very different <laughs> yeah and, and very different amounts of money spent as well which is never fun but, but I you, think know. You, you know when you're starting out i think it's okay to just be that little bit rough around yeah, the edges course. and and I, lean absolutely. on people like friends and family yeah. like neil's mum and dad came in to like clean the Painting whole kitchen well, yeah. they painted they helped us out you have to you have to do that you have to like reach yeah. out to the people around you who are passionate again yeah. about wanting to like see you do well and they'll help out, you know, and, and you save so much money by, by doing that, especially mm -hmm. for anyone who wants to take that next step like yeah. we did. How did you guys find securing that first side? Because often when we've chatted to restauranters on this podcast or even people in uh, trying to get any sort of commercial real estate, yeah. that first site is often such a big battle. How did how did you find that? Awful. Yeah, it was it was it was hideous. And it took a really long time. So we yeah. crowdfunded in twenty seventeen in in August. So we yeah. technically had budget to spend in August. We didn't sign our lease until January. January. So that's four solid months yeah. of like just trying to to like find and and I guess you know sign and, and get everything done. We lost two, right? And we, I think we we yeah. got quite quite far on two two other mm. sites and lost them both for various reasons. Right, right, the kind of last minute. So then you've spent money on legal fees. You've wasted oh. like weeks and weeks of hassle. You've you know gone to builders. You've done drawings, and then it just like falls apart for some ridiculous reason which you couldn't yeah. have even foreseen so yeah it's very very frustrating and a lot of people a lot of landlords we should say especially um, across London the institutional landlords mm. a lot of them didn't want a vegan fast food restaurant mm. in their building so we had to not only battle the fact that we were new to this the fact that we only had really in their eyes a small budget to work with 
but also we, we were a vegan restaurant. Oh no, vegan won't work. No, no, ve vegan. That's yeah, it won't all, be busy enough. That's right? all we heard. So we had to overcome so many challenges. Obviously now is a very different landscape, but back then yeah. that, that was a really yeah. difficult thing to overcome. So when we finally found this shortage one we we were just like all in we were giving it the big pitch we went with all yeah. of our kind of budget lined up we were like yes this is definitely going to work look at how many instagram followers we have i don't know it's like a tiny number but um people they, every one of these yeah, everyone will be, i promise you um i feel like they did though on day one i, I feel like i feel like they did every one yeah, of those I 900 know. people or whatever it was were there. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was nice. Did you guys run a kind of promo or something then on the on the first day? Oh, to... yeah. I actually remember. Yes, we did we do did. some promo. Was it we, discount we, or was it free something? We worked with this Instagram account, um, London on the inside, and they enabled us to launch a um, free burger campaign which was amazing oh, yeah. at the amazing. time. And, you know, it got people down and we were so, so busy. There was a queue out the door. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was great. Were you able to, I suppose, see pretty quickly after the launch that, okay, actually we're, we're onto to something it's building nicely. Were you able to kind of get into that headspace of, okay, right, let's, where's number two or kind of how, how did that process come? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. In terms of revenue and, and kind of making the numbers, uh, stack up that happened quite quickly. Um, and, and thankfully tend to, when we open a new site, they, you know, we, mm we tend to see it get up to speed fairly quickly. But in terms of, I would say behind the scenes, you know, it took us a little while to figure out, you know, we'd never run a restaurant before, so we just opened our own. Um, and uh, yeah, it took us probably, I'd say six months or so at least to figure out, you know, what is the best way to do this? What's the best way to do that? So yeah, there was a bit of, a bit of kind of messing around in the beginning, but it, it, it came about quite quickly that we were approached by Canary Wharf who were, at the time, I think it was something like Banana Republic, was it? Or yeah. J Crew, or one of those. I can't remember which one, but it was a big retail store they had, which just wasn't really working. I think it was about 5,000 square feet or something massive. And they basically wanted to turn it into like a, a food hall, but for uh, smaller, kind of more independent brands. You know, they've already got the Shake Shack and the Five Guys and Nando's and all those types of people. But I think their crowd at the time were demanding something a bit more interesting and a bit more yeah. kind of, you know, uh, unique. So they came to us and they said, oh, you know, we've come to your Shoreditch restaurant. It's great. We like the food. We like the brand and it's busy, <laughs> which I think at the time was a bit of a novelty. And yeah, they, they basically said, we'd like to, you to be a part of this Wharf Kitchen, which is what it's now called. We weren't ready. I mean, I, we, we definitely weren't out there actively mm -hmm. looking for site two, you know, three months in. But um, we kind of thought, well, actually, it's a really nice opportunity. We liked the site. It was, you know, quite small, which is has tended to be what we tend to mm -hmm. go for. And yeah, we just kind of thought, well, yeah, why not? So we, we in. jumped into that and <laughs> opened that, uh, what, about seven or eight months after the first one? Yeah, so Shoreditch was March of 2018, and then Canary Wharf was November of 2018. So Wait. we're about to celebrate its third birthday this month. Amazing. You touched on there, Neil, about the kind of, this is your first time uh, owning a restaurant. So obviously, yeah. there's lots of operational headaches when it comes to a restaurant. You've got staff, you've got mm -hmm. uh, just general maintenance toilets electricity cookers yeah. food mm. processing management <laughs> list is pretty endless there yeah. how did you guys tackle that did you get some key couple of hires in early doors how did you look to kind of divvy up those type of roles kind of what what was your experience with it 
We didn't, to be honest. We didn't have a restaurant manager for, what, two years? And the, <laughs> so the, reason, the, the reason being... No, maybe a year, year and a bit, maybe. I, th- I think it's, it's important, though, because we wanted to really know our business inside and out. We knew mm-hmm. the only way to grow this from the ground up would be to understand every single last part of how everything breaks, everything works well, everything, everything, how the staff need to be in the restaurant, customer service, training, like everything. And we thought at that point, if we step back and have somebody else do that, we're going to get someone else's perspective on that and not our own. So we always try to approach everything from like a human element rather than oh, I have 10 years of hospitality experience, so this is the way we do it. I, we've always hated anybody coming in and saying, sorry, this is the way we do it. We've always just been like, well, well, no, actually what works for us, what works for our business, this is what works for our people, this is what works for our customers. And it came from that perspective. But let's yeah. also not forget, we also didn't have the budget. So we... we yeah. You know, yeah. it's a combination of two things. So I think the minute that we could have budget, we hired someone who wanted to step up from within the restaurant itself. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. everything just became more organic and, and more natural. And it felt just a little yeah. bit better for the way that we wanted to grow the brand as well. That's awesome that you got to bring it from within, because as you, as you say, you're, you're keeping the kind of culture and the brand. Yeah. How did you find the kind of people management side of it in terms of hiring your first employees, getting the kind of Burger Co culture up and running? What was that experience like? I think um, Rachel and I, we're pretty good with people in general. I think, we, you know, we've both managed people before. You know, we, we both know what we didn't like from our previous jobs. Uh, we've both had managers that, you know, haven't quite been what we were looking for. So I think we, we kind of took the elements of what we didn't like from our previous careers and, and thought, well, you know, if we were an employee here, what would we want? And I think that's kind of where us not having a ton of experience in hospitality really helped us because we just looked at it from a common sense human perspective. And that's really helped, I think, because we've we've managed to, we've created a culture which is, I think, really different. It's it's really different to the vast majority of hospitality businesses. In fact, I, I don't know any that have the culture we have. And I think that's simply because we've, we've managed to kind of look at it from a different angle and just basically try and give people, you know, what they need and, and what they what they want and, and ask them all the time, you know, communicate and ask them what they need. It's um, always been this open, honest, culture we have always made ourselves super approachable so i i know from many different hospitality businesses it's super difficult whoever talks to the person who owns the company hardly hardly ever but within our company it was very much like oh rachel and neela here oh rachel and neela mopping the floor rachel and neela doing a shift so whilst whilst that that's not sustainable we completely understand i think it was important for the Mm -hmm. first one so that people saw and understood okay, these people are in it with us. Yes. They're not separate. They're not doing something else. They're not off in Barbados. They're here <laughs> and, and they're working with us. And I think that helped us solidify that culture mm-hmm. from the very beginning. One thing I kind of wanted to touch on was uh, as you guys have kind of evolved, things like uh, food delivery has, has really cropped up. So I can see that you guys you guys are in that space. Did you always engage with it as soon as it came came through came on like as a, as a normal thing for people to, to order food and what's your experience of it being as as restaurateurs yeah we did engage with it pretty much straight away i think we we started with deliveroo probably a month or so after we opened in shoreditch just because we wanted to 
make sure we knew how to how to do everything first before we started adding something else. But yeah, I mean, I think the reality is with delivery, it's not going anywhere. It's it's you know, it's only going to kind of increase. I think over time, customers want things where they are. They don't, you know, they want the flexibility. They want the choice. They want the ability to have it delivered or picked up where, wherever they want and whenever they want. And we've always tried to kind of listen to that and, and adapt to it. It's, it's not a perfect system. I, I think, you know, it's, you won't, you probably won't speak to a restaurateur who will tell you that these things are perfect. You know, the commission's high, the delivery drivers often kind of don't turn up or they're late or they, the food arrives a mess to the customer. And then it's kind of mm. the restaurant that gets, gets the flack for that, you know, that the customer yeah. doesn't think, oh, you know, the delivery rider probably, you know, put it in the bag in a weird way. And it just, that was their fault. They just phone up the restaurant or give you a one star review on Google. And it's, it's, it's tough, you know, it's, it's tough yeah. to manage that because ultimately what we, what we do well uh, in a, in a normal sense is we, we make great food and we give people a great service, but that's when we're in control of product from, from our hands to the customers. But it's very difficult because you're essentially putting your brand in the hands of, of somebody else and they're charging you, you know, in some cases, 35% for the pleasure, yeah. um, which is, is, uh, is a chunk, you know, chunk, it's a chunk, chunk. a big, big yeah. chunk of the margin. Yeah. And yeah. have you, have you ever been tempted to uh, look at it from a, a dark kitchen perspective where you, you, you set up just a separate entity just to do the delivery side of it, or have you always kind of looked to, to utilize the kind of restaurant spaces? Yeah, both really. We, we, we have looked at dark kitchens. We, we, in fact, we did one very, very briefly in um, Waterloo, which didn't work out because we completely didn't get the delivery radius right. We thought it was much bigger than it was, and it, it uh -huh. actually turned out to be a really bad site for us. But yeah, I think over time, we're going to have to consider um, adding some delivery kitchens. I think it seems to be that the way this is moving, it seems to be that delivery is only increasing, not, not, not kind of decreasing. So it is a good way of adding, you know, adding another delivery spot without adding a mm. whole restaurant. But again, these things are expensive. You know, you could pay yeah. three thousand pounds a month for a delivery kitchen, which yeah. is, you know, it's almost as much as a restaurant. Yeah. And it's tough because you're constantly weighing up access, so customers accessing you versus the experience of being around your brand and taking images mm. in your store mm -hmm. and, and and experiencing everything that you want mm. them to experience. So we're constantly in this battle of like okay, how can our budget best be spent here? Is it a delivery kitchen so we have this radius? Or yeah. is it a small little spot where people can actually come and, and yeah, have, have a little bit of the Virgico in, the, in their day? But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a constant question of ours yeah. internally as well. One thing you touched on, and, and again, uh, has been a theme sometimes when we, we've chatted to people in the space is we live in a world where reviews are everywhere. Yeah, there's there's a, a system to review anything and everything. And sometimes reviews can be completely out of control. Like you mentioned, it's a dark kitchen, delivery was late, things gone cold, things gone haywire. Or you have scenarios where it was out of your control, the person just wasn't potentially telling the truth or something like that like how do you how do you manage and engage on those kind of review type type systems in in this day and age oh it's so hard it's difficult. i yeah. think it's getting i think it's getting more difficult actually than yeah. ever before i i feel yeah. like a few pre-covid at least people would be honest with their reviews and and it was kind of 
you know, if we messed up, we really know that we've messed up. And it's like, yeah, I'm yeah, so yeah. sorry, please email us. Let's sort it out. And then generally yeah. the person would email and then they'd figure it out and everything would be great. But after COVID, we even had some one star reviews when we weren't even open during COVID. Yeah, yeah it was like, I went there I and, went it, was and it was close. How are you supposed to deal with that? But, yeah. but it's, well, it's so tough because like you put your heart and soul into yeah. this restaurant and you are getting affected then by an algorithm of some person that is incorrectly giving you a one star just because you can't open a shop for COVID. <laughs> and I, like, I just think it's so, yeah, sorry, I'm getting... It's so harsh on, on, on you guys and it's it's people thinking uh, don't realize the end people that are are getting affected by that yeah. it's just oh i think it's just just terrible yeah, yeah we we hate it and and we we actually have a policy where we make sure that we never ever ever rate another company one star like we would never ever do it ever and if we had something that we had to like talk to the people about you just communicate you pick up the phone or you speak to the actual team there and then or you send them a nice email I'm so sorry this happened today just kind of want to let you know you know we always felt that that was the best way to deal with kind of what's going on because if someone mm. has re if a company has really messed up something has gone wrong just communicate with them I promise nine times out of ten they want to put it right or they didn't know or you know some something that but they they care they really care but i think giving any small business a one-star review but not giving them the chance to put it right that's kind of evil and, and it's a little bit toxic and and actually yeah. it really hurts the person who owns that company because i guarantee they see it and it just oh, changes absolutely. their whole feeling you know completely and uh, there's just no consideration of like the emotional distress you get over there because no. you're trying so hard to, to, to yeah. only create a five-star environment obviously you, you you can't do that all the time but you're you're trying as hard as you bloody can um and, I know. and there's just yeah sometimes there's just no consideration for that so yeah just in, in interesting that, that that you've had have, have have seen that kind of trend i suppose um it's the bane of our life <laughs> <laughs> we're pretty yeah. lucky i mean in general we you know we've done pretty well on reviews I, I, we yeah. should say that as well you know, yeah we, we, true. the vast majority are positive um mm. so from that perspective it you know we're able to be a little less worried because yeah you know the one the one the odd kind of one star review doesn't tend to have a massive impact anymore but of course at the beginning it you know it really stung a lot um, yeah. and i think what we've tried to do recently as well is we've kind of tried to take charge a little bit more and be a bit more proactive so we now we have some software that we basically approach customers when they're in the restaurant so we've changed you know all sorts of systems over the last kind of 18 months but essentially now what we do you know, customers can order in store, they can use a kiosk, they can uh, order from their table. But if they do that, then we'll ask them some questions about, you know, the food and we'll ask them how the service was and all of those things. And that's really helping us to not just get a, a blanket five star or a blanket one star on Google, but actually identify which specific aspects of what we're yeah. doing did you enjoy and which ones are we, are we not doing well enough. So, so actually getting useful feedback. To exactly. Make it yeah. Exactly. Better. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Making exactly. Makes a lot of ton of logical sense. Yeah. Um, I know. So, so I suppose then, yeah. Look, looking ahead for you guys, Rachel and Neil. Now that you've managed uh, to, to very impressively have three restaurants open, about to open a fourth in Manchester, have delivery systems going through 
seeing uh, the big rise in demand for fast food and vegan like what where are you guys thinking in terms of growth for burger what 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 were your thoughts at i think there's a few kind of angles to it really we're, we're carrying on adding sites here where we you know where we can um yeah we're not going crazy with it we're we're being very purposely strategic and quite selective about the way we do yeah. it i think london still has some way to go in terms of getting back on its feet and i think that makes it difficult at the minute to pick a site in london because for london sites they're very expensive you've just got to yeah. have you know a lot of foot traffic you've got to have people kind of in their offices so it's that's a very difficult one for us at the minute so that's why we've been starting to look outside london mm. and just sort of starting to develop cities which aren't very well served for vegan food at the moment so i think that's that's kind of the big move for us over the next couple of years is just seeing what else is out there, you know, and going, venturing a little further afield. <clears throat> but of course, then on the side, we've got our retail products. So we're selling now into, well, most recently, Ocado, but also Whole Foods, Planet Organic. We're selling in the US, we're selling in the Middle East. Um, so I think for us, that, that side of it is really exciting too. And it's not That's something we started out to do, but it's something that we very quickly kind of realized, oh, customers are asking about our sources in the restaurants. Like, can we make these for, for a supermarket? And, and yeah, that's been a nice journey as well, hasn't it? I think that's the importance of like listening to what your customers have to say and having your kind of ears on the ground. And, and you know, we are so close to all of our teams. When someone has something to say, we pretty much hear about it the next day. And it was this repetition of hearing that customers want a little bit of the Vergico at home that we started to work on this even mm. pre-pandemic. It was like 2019 and we were working on developing our own sources in um, for retail. So it's been a bit of a journey, but it's, it's an exciting side of our business that we're, we're really looking forward to growing. Awesome. And how, how have you found that kind of transitioning into getting in front of buyers for from a health side point of view, do they come to you or did you kind of have to start engaging with, with them? Yeah, that, that was, um, it was tough because when we finally had our product to sell, that's when the pandemic hit. So it's like, oh, okay. So, so whilst many people look at that and think, great timing, guys, retail during a time when no one can access retail, <laughs> perfect. But then get in hold of the people who can make that happen that that was the hard part so yeah. um also retailers were in like pure emergency mode yeah. you know they weren't looking for yeah. like a fancy vegan mayo they were no. looking for like just get it know, get it in anything and yeah. Yeah. 70 yeah. million of yeah them, Ex know. exactly so we we pretty much realized well the only way that people could access this during a lockdown would be on our own website so we at the time our website wasn't transactional it was purely just for customers to see our menu or, or whatever so we mm. completely flipped our website to make it transactional. We put all of, we had a photo shoot. We managed to just do it pre-lockdown and we took imagery of all of our sources and we launched them online and we just basically launched it and said, hey, come and buy them. And obviously our, our kind of community really backed that and, and that was awesome. We launched meal kits online as well. So we kind of had the retail element launched but through our own channels that allowed us to kind of control the message a little bit and then we reached out to a few people as it started to wean off in the summer so june july um we reached out to a few contacts that we had and then we kind of started small and then went from there i think people like planet organic and whole foods are, are really supportive as well you know they're yeah they're excited about new small brands rather than you know when you go to people like 
you know, the big supermarkets, if you're just yeah. starting out, they'll just be like, no, go no, and prove yeah. yourself and come back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I suppose a final question from my side is, you you guys have both done a huge amount of, of different types of roles, different types of hats since, since setting up. Uh, how are your roles today and kind of what are kind of the key areas you're, you're looking at at the moment? Uh, yes, yeah, we have. We, we still do to an extent. I think there's still a lot of, um, you know, job sharing and hat, hat swapping. But um, we, I think for, for a general distinction, I'm sort of operations and finance. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking after, well, overseeing, I should say, we do have some people helping us out now, but yeah. um, I'm overseeing anything that you pretty much can't see. So um, the, the the numbers, the, the investment side of things, property, you know, people behind the scenes as well, kind of maintenance, all of that kind of stuff, finding new sites. And Rachel is pretty much looking after everything that you can see or taste. Yeah, so I kind of oversee the development of the the menu with kind of our head of development and that team and our production team. I oversee retail, um, so pitching to retailers, help, helping with that side of the business, and then also anything to do with kind of making sure the experience in-store is awesome and everyone's having the best time and anything to do with people. And then marketing, social media, everything else in the meantime. So, yeah. <laughs> just, just <laughs> lots, lots of hats flying all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, Neil, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience. Uh, it's been so insightful, like all the different stages that you guys have gone on. You've got so much experience. So I think anyone thinking about going into wholesale, opening a restaurant, doing delivery, working with people, how to infuse culture. I think there's so many nuggets in there. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I hope anyone listening, make sure they get down to Burger uh, and try try you guys out and uh, wish you all the su- success with your, your future work as well. Thanks so much. Thank you Thanks ever so much. Us. Thank you.